Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. So this morning is week three of our series called Deeper. But before I dive into week three, let me quickly do a recap on week one and two, just to remind us to refresh our, our memory for where we're going. So week one, we started out by looking at the significance of a well. Remember that? Look at the significance of a well and that we can see a well as a prophetic picture of our intimacy with God. Now, the challenge in, in week one and sermon one was to dig our well deeper in times of drought, remember, so that your capacity for God is greater when the drought's over. And we need a greater capacity. We need to trust God. Lord, I want to have a greater capacity for you. Why? So that I can give more. So that we're not just obese Christians where we receive, but we receive and give. Because that's what God has called us to be. Jesus gave us the greatest example. And he said to the disciples, now go. I've given you everything that you needed. Now you need to go and give. I'll be with you. Now last week we spoke about Jacob. Remember Jacob and his well? And we spoke about how he met his wife Rachel at a well. Great social gathering place, remember? That's what a well was for. And we looked at how important it was to wait on God in a place of intimacy. Just to wait on Him. Just to trust, Lord, I want to wait on You to get more of You, Father. I want more of You. And I want to be nourished with the water of life. I want more of Your presence in my life. And therefore, if I can wait as long as I can for You to come and just overflow in me, man, the greater it is. So it's amazing to see how God refines our faith in that moments where we wait. Come on. I mean, I remember. I mean, I can tell you story upon story upon story how me and Salome had to wait for things. Just be patient. Father, but I don't want to be patient. I want to, can I just have it now? And God just said, wait, because there's great blessing on the other side of your waiting. We also looked at the stone that had to be rolled away. Remember? A stone that had to be rolled away for the people to get water. And how God called all of us, each and every one of us, if you're a believer, if you are breathing this morning and you love God and you serve Him and your heart belongs to Him, God has called you to be a living stone to give water to a thirsty generation. That's our calling. To give around us. Sometimes a hug. Sometimes it's just a good word at the right time. That's life. Now today in our third week of our series, I want to look at one of the most famous leaders in the Bible called Moses. Great man of God. Incredible. Probably the man with the greatest challenge that God placed in front of him. One of the greatest job titles. Here, Moses, you can lead two million people. Just get them out of the mightiest nation in the world's hands and then lead them. But they're going to moan along the way. But don't worry. I'm going to make you a great leader. We all know that story. So, if you look at the life of Moses, you look at the story of the life of Moses, before he became the leader of Israel, God did three very defining things in his life. Three very defining things. And, and I want to look at that this morning. Have God ever did a defining thing in your life? Come on, it was a defining thing when I got married. It was a defining thing when I got baptized in the Spirit. There's defining things. It was a defining thing when our twins were born. There's defining things in your life that happens. We just need to realize, oh, this is a defining thing. 
When there's a shift in season, sometimes it's a defining thing. What are we doing with the defining things in our lives? Because God used the defining things in our lives and aim for our purpose, aim for our calling. He directs us with the defining things that happens in our lives to the place that He wants you to go. I've prayed this before, said, Lord, please help me not to miss the defining things in my life. Now, if you look at Moses, three things were turning points in his life. Three things were so defining that God was setting him up, preparing him for his purpose, for his call in his life. Now, let's look at the first defining moment of this amazing leaders. Let, let, let's read together in Exodus 2, verse 1 to 4. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi, the priestly tribe, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, now, a man from the house of Levi, the priestly tribe, went and took as his wife a daughter of Levi. Now, the woman conceived and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was especially beautiful and healthy, she hid him for three months to protect him from the Egyptians. The background is Pharaoh looked at the amount of Hebrews that was left in Egypt. And remember, Joseph was in Egypt and the nation of Israel and his, his descendants were all in Egypt and when that Pharaoh and, and, and uh, Joseph died, there was a new Pharaoh and there was a lot of Israelites. And this Pharaoh realized like, oh my goodness, their numbers are growing by day. I'm fearful that they will overtake Egypt if I don't do something. So he went to the midwives and he said to them, listen, I want you for every baby boy that are born, I want you to kill them. It's quite radical, isn't it? He was an evil, evil king. And the midwives, luckily, was godly, and they, re they refused to do it without saying anything. They just let the boys live. Until, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say how long, until Pharaoh found out that they haven't been doing anything. So then what he did is he, he commanded his men, his soldiers, to go into every house of every, every Hebrew family and kill every boy, young boy born. And they took the boys and the kids and they threw them in the Nile River and drowned them. It was a sad day in their history. Think about the crying and the wailing of women that day. It's ridiculous. So, so what happened is we read that Moses' mother thought, man, that's why I have to hit this beautiful baby boy for me. For three months he hit him. After three months he realized I need to make a plan. So let's go on. Verse 3. So when she could no longer hide him, she got him a basket, a chest made of papyrus reeds and covered it with tar and pitch, making it waterproof. Then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his sister Miriam stood some distance away to find out what would happen to him. Now I read this and I realize, my goodness, how much faith does a woman have to have to put a baby in a, a basket in a river? How much faith she has to let this baby live. How much love she has to have for this baby to make any plan to make this baby live. And I believe that God was with this, this whole process because he had a call on Moses. So we all know the story. Pharaoh's daughter pitched up and she said, oh, a baby in a, in, a, in a basket. She opened it up and she was it's like she loved the baby. And Miriam that was there accidentally walked up and said, well, that's amazing. I can get you a woman that can take care of this baby. Isn't God amazing? And she said, oh, yeah, sure. Go and, 
and uh, put my stamp of approval and safety on this baby. God is amazing. Go take the baby to the woman, which was the mother, and she can nurse him. If God has a plan for your life, the world can do anything. People can die around you, but God will have a plan. This is so amazing to read this. Now, we all know the story. The baby was nursed. And then we came to, let's jump to verse 10 and 11. It says, And a child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became a son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now, I want to remind you as we go into the sermon series that we're speaking about intimacy with God. And we are looking at a well as a prophetic picture of our place of intimacy with God. So Moses as a baby had his first defining moment in his life when his mother saved him from Pharaoh or from the wrath of Pharaoh by putting him in a papyrus reed-based basket on the river. Miracle, number one. Defining moment in his life. And, and when he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, he became a royal prince. Now this is beautiful. He went from a slave to a prince. He went from slave to royalty. One moment, why? Because God had a plan for his life. God had a plan for his life and therefore there was defining moments, miracles that had to happen for Moses to step up into the plan that God had for him. From slave to royalty. You see, it's the same. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? We went from slaves to royalty. This was a prophetic picture of what Jesus was about to do. Now, when a baby grows up, what happens? A child's identity is formed by who? By his parents. It's formed by his parents, by his family. Why? Because the child doesn't know God. They know his parents. So you can actually say that the parents are God to a small baby. Until they grow up and understand, it's like, ooh, I understand life and death, I understand God, and how the parents train them and equip them and teach them who God is. But a child's identity are formed from his parents, from where he grows up, his family. Now Moses grew up with a picture of royalty. Yes, it was an unrighteous, hidden nation that he grew up as a prince in, but it, he grew up with a, with, a, with a viewpoint of what it is to be royal. And I think that was God's plan for his identity, for Moses to see who he is. Now, if we look at the Nile and what it meant to the Egyptians, just to give us a bit of a backdrop, it, is, it sounds very familiar. Remember, we looked at a, a well in the desert, and a family owned a well, and when a family owned a well, it was very significant. So the Egyptians didn't have wells, they had the Nile. You see, the Nile had the following benefits for the Egyptians. Listen to this. The Nile River gave them life. It was a water source in the middle of the desert. Still is today, one of the biggest rivers. It, the, the river fed them, it nourished the animals. They were fishing out of the river that fed them. They were bathing in it to keep free from diseases. They farmed out of the river. They, they, they watered their crops out of the river. And because of this river, the ground around the Nile were very fruitful, very fertile. Now, the Nile made Egypt the most powerful and rich nation in the world. It was, it was amazing. Now, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds very familiar. 
If you look at a well, it had the same benefits for Israel or to Israel as the Nile had for the Egyptians. It was their source of life. You see the comparison? Now, maybe I should ask the question, was it coincidence that Moses was found in the River Nile or in the Nile River, the life source of Egypt? I don't think so. Look at the prophetic part, the way that God was walking. In a life source, God left him. First defining moment. It was the life source of Egypt where God taught him his identity. But then let's come to the next verse, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown into adulthood, now he's not a little boy anymore, he was now an adult man, it happened that he went to his countrymen and looked with compassion at their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his countrymen. Now we all know what happened. David was furious because of the compassion he had for this Hebrew slave, and he walked up and he killed the Egyptian soldier. Now, if we take a step back and we said, Moses grew up, and somewhere along the way when he grew up, he probably figured out, man, I don't look Egyptian. I mean, I actually look like the slaves in the palace. I look like the slaves building the pyramids. I look like the guys outside. I don't look like, and he probably went to his mother and said, listen, you need to square up with me. What's happening here? And she probably said, well, you adopted the gods send you to us in our life source, the river. And because I found you, the gods send you. But I, I can just see that story. So, so Moses suddenly had a crisis in identity. Because his identity was built on Egypt. His identity was built as a royal prince in his palace. And suddenly he had a crisis of who he was. And that's probably why the word said, suddenly he looked with compassion on the hard labors of the Hebrews. He always saw them, oh, they were just the slaves. Suddenly, no, no, they're not slaves anymore. These are my countrymen, these are my people, and we are almost beating them to death by doing stuff that I'm a prince of. She had a crisis in identity right there. Now let's read on. What happened when he killed that Egyptian soldier? Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses. <laughs> no, no, just stop there. I, I, I stopped there and I realized, but listen, Pharaoh, one soldier, how many soldiers does Pharaoh has? Thousands. Now a prince comes in my palace. A prince comes and he kills because of he, was, he had righteous anger. He's still a young man. He kills a soldier. Okay, come, I'll, I'm killing you. That doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It shows that Pharaoh probably didn't like Moses. He didn't like having a slave as a son in his palace. So when that moment came, he said, well, this is my moment to take you out. And that's probably why Pharaoh acted the way he acted. Let's read on. Then Moses fled from Pharaoh's presence and took refuge in the land of Midian, where he sat down by a well. He sat down by a well. Let's go on. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water from a well where Moses was resting and filled the throws to, the water, um, filled the throws to water their father's flock. But then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. 
Now, when Moses realized his true identity, come on, he realized who he was, he started feeling compassion for the people that was his people. Suddenly there was compassion. He wanted to help them. He related to them. And when he came to this point where there were shepherds came, and again, shepherds and women. Come on, we spoke about it last week. What is up with the shepherds and chasing the women away from the well? But again, he stood up. He had compassion for the women at the well. He saved them and helped them. So it's so amazing that no matter where and in what situation Moses grew up, he had God's compassion on the inside of him. It, it, God's compassion is part of our DNA. That's why you always see Jesus had compassion on them and he healed them. There was some compassion that flows from him. And we see here that, that there was something deep inside of Moses when he realized his identity, there was compassion. So God was starting to shift his identity from who he was to who he was supposed to be. So Moses was not supposed to be a son of Pharaoh. Moses was supposed to be a leader for God, for something amazing that God wanted to do. See, God was starting to shift his identity. There was a shift happening. Now, coming to this well, he was running away. He came to this well. What's interesting to me is here, what did Moses do? He immediately sat down at the well. He sat down. Very significant. He sat down at the well. See, God took him from a place of work, a place of law in Egypt at the river, and he took him to a place of rest and grace at the well in, in Midian. Big difference. Law versus grace. God took him from this lawful, unrighteous place to a place where God had to shift his identity, reestablish his identity, but he had to start by resting and realizing that there's grace for you. See, the well was a defining place for Moses. It was a defining place. This was the place God shifted his focus from identity to true intimacy. I'm a king. I'm a son of the Pharaoh. I'm a royalty in a house. And God comes bring him to a, to a well which prophetically is a sign of the intimacy with God that we will see later. You see, this was the place God shifted his focus Something shifted in that moment when he sat at that well. See, in Egypt, he was a prince in royalty. Law, works, idol worship. But at the well, he found rest. He found grace in a place of intimacy. Doesn't this comparison sound familiar? It's amazing. You see, sometimes we build our identity on what? We build our identity on our job, our ability, our money, maybe your wife or your husband, maybe you build your identity on the car you drive or the house you stay, whatever, stuff. Sounds like Egypt. See, but it, it was all just things. It was all just works. The more I do and the more I have, the better I feel about myself. Sounds familiar, isn't it? We all step into that identity issue. But as Moses was sitting at that well, you know what happened? He was sitting there and he just lost everything. Everything. Maybe some of you sitting here today where you've lost everything. Everything maybe you've worked for for years and years and years in your life. You've been, you've, you felt like royalty and suddenly you were sitting there and you lost everything. And look where God brought him to. 
Now, this is for me significant. He lost everything in the first place God brought him to. Where? A well? A place of intimacy? A place of intimacy between him and God? And that place, in that place, you know what he found? He found true identity. He found out who he was. Now, if you look at the Bible, identity is shaped when we know who we are. Come on. If you know who you are, you will know exactly what your identity is. If you are a son in your father's house, you know that your identity is, I'm, I'm my father's son. If you are a, a prince and your dad is the king, you know that your identity is to be a prince. So when you know who you are, you know what your identity is. That's why it's so important for us to know who we are. If you look at the Bible, the Bible so many times speaks about to know equals intimacy. Now let me prove it to you. Genesis 4 verse 1. It says, And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She knew him. So in a biblical context, to know means to have intimacy physically. Let me prove it to you again. John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life, that I may know you, that I may have intimacy with you, God. This is eternal life. You have, if eternal life is not, I can work my place into heaven. No. I have to have intimacy with God by knowing Him in that place of intimacy. That gives me a place, eternal life in heaven. You see, you can sit in church and still not know God. If you don't know God, you don't know yourself, and you have a skew intimacy in life, uh, identity in life. You see, knowing brings us to a place of identity, but it comes through a place of intimacy. Did you hear that? It's very important. See, knowing brings us to a place of identity, but it comes through a place of intimacy. See, God brought Moses to a well, second defining moment of his life. First defining moment, the river. Second defining moment, the well. You see, this moment signified a shift in his identity as a leader and place of intimacy with God. <laughs> Come on, you have to get this this morning. So what happens next? He was sitting at this well. He was just, I just lost everything. What happened? Seven maidens, seven shepherds. Again, woman at a well. And the shepherds came to chase the woman away so that they can't get water. And what did Moses do? Moses stood up. See, we look at the, at the difference from a place of law to a place of grace. From a place of law in Egypt to a place of grace at this well. See, in Egypt, what would happen, what happened when Moses saw unrighteousness? He killed a man. So he came to the well, a place of rest and grace, and he saw unrighteousness. What did he do? He stood up. There was no bloodshed. He just stood up. I can just think. <laughs> this three words has been bogging me for this couple of weeks. He, Moses stood up. He stood up. And it had me thinking, and what did he really do when he stood up? Did he fight them? Bible doesn't really say he fought them. But, but let me paint a picture a bit for you. He probably had his, still his royal Egyptian robe on. 
He looked like an Egyptian prince because he, he ran. That's, I mean, he killed and ran. So he had his whole Egyptian robe, his painting and everything and makeup, and, you know, the Egyptians liked all those stuff. So when he stood up, that shepherd's paused, and they realized, ooh, an Egyptian royal, he must have an army just around the corner. When we stand up in our godly authority, man, the enemy pauses. So, whoa. This man has something else. There's something on him. This woman has got something of God on her. I don't want to mess with this. Difference in identity. Difference in identity. He didn't fight him. There was grace. And out of the place of grace, God did something so much better. So when God changed our identity from sinners to righteous, what will you stand up for? This week, we're going to face stuff in our lives. What will we stand up for? From the place of identity, from who God made you to be, from who you are called to be, will you stand up for unrighteousness? See, will we just let unrighteous things happen around us and for us to do nothing? That's a good, that's a good question nowadays. In this season of our lives, it's even more unrighteousness than ever. But will we be quiet or will we trust God for wisdom, stand up against and say, sorry, that's not what I agree with. But as I thought about this, I heard the Lord say the following. Henny, will you stand up for your place of intimacy with me? Don't worry about the other stuff. Will you stand up for your place of intimacy with me? Because that's a place to fight for. See, most Christians, if we ask them, they want to be closer to God, they want to hear His voice, they want to experience His presence, but we're not willing to stand up and take action and pursue that place of intimacy. We need to stand up for that place of intimacy in our lives. I believe God is calling us every day to stand up from that place of passivity and walk into that place of pursuing true identity with Him, true intimacy with Him. See, just like Moses stood up for that seven maidens, God is calling us to also stand up and call people closer to Him, call people into more of Him. Firstly, we need to see God in a place of intimacy. And then secondly, we need to call people into that experience. Come on, we need to say, man, we had a great church service. Man, I had a great cell group. Man, we had a great worship event. Man, there's a conference. You need to come with me. Call people into that life, that life source that God has given us. See, it will save people from tough situations, challenges in their lives, unrighteousness, unbelief. It will save them from it. But we need to be willing to stand up and help people closer to Jesus. Are you willing? Are we willing? It's a good question to ask yourself. Jesus was a great example of this. And we read this scripture in our first sermon where Jesus stood up at the festival. And he said the following in John 7, 37. He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. Same thing. Jesus stood up and cried out. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Remember first, first sermon? What did Jesus do? He stood up and spoke boldly at a festival. A lot of people. Secondly, Jesus stood up and he was sacrificing himself on a cross so that we can have true intimacy with God. Thirdly, Jesus freed us from sin and unrighteousness. Man, so many things that he brought us out of so that we can have firstly a place of rest in him. Remember, when God created the heaven and earth, on the sixth day he created man, what did he do on the seventh day? First commanded for men, rest. Let's rest. Because out of a place of rest you'll find intimacy. Out of a place of intimacy, ooh, suddenly I know, I've, I've got identity. So let's look at the third defining moment. Last one, I'm almost done. Exodus 3 verse 1. I love this. On one day, now this now number of years passed. Moses married one of Jeshua's daughters, seven, one of the seven maidens. He married her and, and he became a shepherd in his house. And this was now almost, I think it was almost 40 years. And this happened. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Then he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle, from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement through the bush. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see it. I love this. I love this moment. You need to get this. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. When the Lord saw Moses wanted more, he wanted to see what's happening. When he saw he came, man, when he saw he came closer, he wanted more of his presence. He wanted, God spoke to him. So many times we are hungry for God's presence. We see God doing amazing things around us. But we're not willing to come closer. We're not willing to come closer for more of Him. You see, God is waiting for us to come closer into that place of intimacy, that place of devotion. He wants to show us more. Are you willing to see more, to experience more? See, Moses was tending sheep as a shepherd. Now let me just pause and go back. He was tending sheep as a shepherd. Moses was doing the job the Egyptians hated. They had despised the shepherds. And as a royalty, he grew up with the identity despising the shepherds of Hebrew. And guess what he's, what he's doing? After 40 years, suddenly he's doing exactly that with what he was taught to despise. He was a shepherd. See, this is just showing how much God changed Moses' identity. How much God humbled him to a place where he, God could use him. Right there, right there at that moment at Mount Sinai, in a number of months, probably a year, I don't know how long, but it was not a long, long time, Moses would walk up that mountain and get the Ten Commandments from God. Same place he saw the burning bush. Same place where God called him into a higher place of authority. Right there, that defining moment. 
See, this moment again shows us how much God is longing for us to experience more of Him. He wants to have more poured into our life. See, as Moses came closer, God spoke to him. And I've learned that our identity, now this is what we've learned this morning, that our identity leads us to understand our authority. Amen? If I know who I am, it shows the authority that I have. When you walk into my house, I know I'm the father of my, of my children, the husband of Salome. I'm the authority and the man of the house. That's my authority. But I missed the most important part. Always thought like this. I missed the most important part. See, our identity leads us to a place of authority, but only through a place of intimacy. So identity, through a place of intimacy, shows you your authority. See, God had to change Moses' place of intimacy from denial, earthly, fleshly, unrighteous, ungodly, to a well which is spiritual, a place of rest, a place of grace. He had to change his identity because he was about to give him authority to lead his people. This was the third defining moment for Moses. God called him into being leader to lead God's people. Now, can I summarize this for you? Because this is very important for us. Let's summarize this. So from a place of identity, the Nile. He was found as a baby in the Nile. He had an identity as a prince, royalty, but yet ungodly, unrighteous. Then Moses ran away from Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He was fearing for his life, and instead he found life at a well of intimacy. Number two, intimacy. So God had to take him from this identity and he had to shift his identity, but he needed him to see a place of intimacy with God before he went to authority, burning bush. And listen, the process from intimacy to authority was a long process of changing his identity. Going from a prince to Egypt, now you're a shepherd, and suddenly I need to shift this thing, I need to mold you differently, because I'm going to give you authority that I haven't given a lot of men. Moses was the leader of the Old Testament. He saw God. The presence of God moved by him. He, I mean, I want to just go and read the stories of Moses. But God had to give him authority only from a place of intimacy. And so many people, even ministry, want to step into great authority because I've got a gift. I can preach, I can prophesy, I can do this. But you're not willing to sit in a place of intimacy. Guess what's going to happen to you with the authority? You're going to hurt people. You're going to make a mess because there's no place of intimacy. And that's why I want to encourage you this morning. We need to find identity at the well. We won't find true identity in worldly positions. We will find our true identity in a place where God has intimacy with us. We have intimacy with us. We just need to embrace that place of intimacy. Bill Johnson says the following, and I love this quote. He says, your level of spiritual warfare will be determined by your level of intimacy with God. So we all want to walk in, in, in our spiritual authority and we want to do a spiritual warfare and pray, and, but, but your level of intimacy with God will determine the authority that you carry. 
And that's where we are this morning. You see, sometimes we struggle with our identity. We are insecure in certain places in our lives. And the only place where God can change is, yes, you need to know who you are, but God starts shifting who you are and knowing who you are in a place of knowing Him. Just knowing Him. That's why it's so important to hunger after knowing God. Lord, I want to know you deeper. I want to have an encounter with you. I want to experience you. As I'm doing my job, as I'm running around with the kids, as I'm doing this, I can know you and experience you in that rat race of life. Just do it from a place of rest. And if you do it from a place of rest, you have grace and you experience that grace in life because you're sitting at the well. I want to encourage you this, this morning. I want to encourage you to, to go and sit at that well. And maybe you've been running around after life and the rat race of life, my job, my kids, my car, my house, my this. Maybe it's time to go and sit at that well and just say, Father, I need your rest. I need your grace in my life because it's from this place where I will find the gold. I will find more than I could ever dream of. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that, that you are amazing, Father. You are the King of kings. You love us more than anything else. And Lord, I pray this morning that, I pray that, that this will not just be another sermon, Father, but that this will drop into our hearts that know that this is who we are and the only place that we will find our identity is by sitting with you, by sitting at it well, by finding rest in you, Father, by stepping into a place of grace. There's no law, performance, or work that can draw us closer than intimacy can. Lord, I pray that you release our hearts this morning. Release our hearts from works and things that we're trying to do to get closer to you. Bring us closer to your heart, Father, at that place at the well. If you're here this morning, and this has been speaking to you, I want to invite you just to close your eyes, all of us. And maybe you feel like, Henny, I'm, I'm still, I'm still at the Nile. I'm still running around there in Egypt when God is calling me to come and sit at the well in Midian. And maybe we can just take a moment or so and just say, Father, I just want a transition. I want a transition this morning by pressing the slow motion button and coming into a place of rest, sitting at that well, Lord, I need your intimacy. I need that place of intimacy so that I can go to a place of authority that I know you're calling me into. I know you're calling me into, Father. I feel there's so many of us here this morning that God is about to upgrade you. Now, I'm not talking about house, cars, physical stuff. I'm talking about spiritual upgrade. And I pray this morning that you have a longing, that God will birth a longing in my heart, in your heart, to go and sit with Him. And to set our schedule aside and just say, Father, today I, wanna, I just want to sit with you.
I pray for a longing, for a hunger, for an uncompromising hunger. Said, I want this. I'm willing to shift everything aside because I want this. Lord, come and forgive us when we have placed things above you, in front of you, Father. We repent this morning. Lord, we pray that that you take the condemnation off of us, the guilt for not spending enough time, Father, and replace that condemnation with a hunger for you, for more of you, Father. Thank you that you love us, Father, more than anything else, more than anything in this world. The Scripture says that we can't love God because He loved us first. We can only love Him back. Lord, we want to love you back the best we can. We thank you for loving us before, while we were still messing up, while we were still running around in Egypt, having the wrong identity and the wrong things. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness, for grace, for loving us. But today is a shift. Today we shift. We want to have more of you. Lord, I bless everyone here today. May this week be amazing. May this week bless them. May they see you at the place of the well. May there be a rest and a, and a, a grace moments as they sit with you. Lord, I pray that there will be moments going open. Suddenly there's moment, there's a chance to go and read my Bible. Suddenly there's a moment that I can sit here for 10 minutes and just pray. Lord, I pray that you surprise us with that moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstalenbosch.co.za.